Hey, welcome to Rockbridge Community Church at all six of our physical locations and also want to welcome the uh, thousands of you that catch us online and we're fired up about so many people just hearing the Word of God, walking with Christ, learning more about what it means to be a Christ follower at Rockbridge. Last weekend was Easter and physically and digitally online we were able to minister to really the largest crowd ever in the history of our church in our 20-year existence. So we praise God for that and are just fired up about that and, and so thank you yeah absolutely and and this weekend at all of our campuses we're doing all-in recognitions about those folks who have decided to make a commitment to this local body of believers at Rockbridge a commitment to walk as a, a disciple and then our commitment to serve and and help them grow in their faith and express their faith at wherever God places them and how God has gifted them so it's just a great weekend to be at God's church and to be a part of the body of Christ. Before we get into our series, just want to remind us that all in our six physical locations, we put pastors, staff members, elders in coffee shops and different places in these six communities. This is like just a place. They're praying. They're available. You can stop by, say hello, ask a question. You need to have a conversation about our church, about walking with God, about anything. Just kind of mark this. This is all on our website as well, but I just want you to see these times and these places in our six physical locations, and we call that Monday meetups, just us being in our communities and us being available to different people. Of course, you can always email me, email contact folks in the lobby, and we're happy to serve and bless you any way that we can. We start a new series today, and it's called Second Mile. We're actually not going to teach too much about this actual expression that Jesus used in Matthew's gospel, but let me just kind of tell you where we're going. This is going to be like a, a, a message series that really covers the vision of what it means to follow Jesus. If you were here last weekend, we gave an invitation. It's not my invitation. It was Jesus' invitation, which was to do more than believe in Jesus, to actually follow Jesus. And so what we're going to do for the next several weeks is show the vision of what it means to actually follow Jesus Christ and, and to capture the essence of that in the form of an expression, an analogy, and a command that Jesus gave as part of his longest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, found in the last part of Matthew 5. We're titling the series Second Mile. It's, this series is going to build, so it would be very, very helpful if you could be here. If you miss, catch us online. If you come on Sundays and can't make Sundays, remember we have Rockbridge PM, which is our Thursday night service in our Dalton campus, but we're always excited on Thursday nights to see people from all of our different campuses. So just know this series is going to build, and it's a vision message. Now, to kick us off, I just want to give you something to pray. You're not going to fully know what you're praying until we unpack this, but the prayer is this. God, would you help me? Would you help us? Would you help Rockbridge live on the second mile. And you may not understand what that means. You may think you understand what that means. But the second mile is just an expression of what is it like when I'm following King Jesus. We do all of our campuses, everybody online, join with me as we pray together. God, we're here and we're hungry for you. Some of us may not even know why we're here. But God, I pray we would just have some expectancy that you have us here for a reason. You have something for us. And God, we want to just pray into the vision you have for human beings, the vision you have for followers of your son, Jesus. God, we know this world offers us a vision of what success looks like, of what a man looks like, a mother looks like, a woman looks like. 
You give us a vision that, that, that is so much bigger and better, God. And we may have to unlearn and let go of some things to grab hold of this vision you have for us. So, God, I'm just praying in the name of Jesus and by the presence of his spirit here with us this weekend, you would give us all eyes to see, ears to hear, and the faith to grab hold of what you offer us in Jesus. His name we pray. Amen and amen. So let me ask everybody a question, okay? What's your why, right? Now, that's kind of a trick question. No, not really. But everybody has a because, a reason. Everybody has an explanation for what you do, why you do what you do. I don't know if, you, if, if those of you that are parents can identify, uh, and most of us, our parents ask us this, you did something stupid, your kids do something stupid, and you're like, why did you do that? right? And, and, and the answer is, I don't know. Well, he did it first. Well, she hit me, right? And you get all this stuff. But everybody's got a why, and everybody's got an explanation. And, and some of it's going to be multiple and varied. You, know, you ate because you were hungry. You went to bed because you were tired. But what we want to talk about is the why that actually drives us beyond just existence and survival. The why that is the reason we wake up in the morning. So let's, let's boil this down. How big is your why? And let me break this down, okay? Is it bigger than yourself and survival? And, and that's where a lot of people, that's, that's where they operate. I, I did it because it felt good. It made me happy. Uh, it's what my, I followed my heart, right? Instead of following Jesus, I followed my heart. We say it all the time. Your heart's not meant to be followed. It'll lead you down dark places. Uh, so is it bigger than survival? Is your why bigger than success, society's definition? Because society's definition of success, as enticing as it is, it can be lost. And then, you, then you're, what are you, a failure? Okay, it can be taken. Then what are you, lost or confused? Okay, is it bigger than sin? Your sin and their sin. Some people, their vision is, well, they did this to me, so I have a right to operate out of anger or bitterness or cynicism. And so your why is I'm just bitter. Your why is I'm just angry. Your why is I'm just frustrated because of what they did to me. So how, how big is your why? Let me go on. How big is your why? Is it big enough to withstand opposition and adversity? Is it big enough to withstand an attack from the enemy? I, I love this, this saying, this phrase. I heard it years ago, read it years ago. Uh, the two most important days of your life are your birthday and the reason you find out why. The day you were born and the reason you find out why. Now, let me share my heart with us, okay? Everybody here listening, everybody online, we need a big why. That's bigger than ourselves. So listen, the, the society wants to offer this siren song of you do you. You were made for something bigger than you. You were made to be driven by something more than your survival and more than peer pressure and more than social media. We need a big why because God has given us a big capacity, right, to move on purpose and, and to exist, okay? And I started thinking about this. I was like, what if, you know, why we, why we exist for most people are searches. And it's unsettled, right? Our why might be one thing as teenagers, another thing in our 20s. Our, our why might change based on fad and culture and popularity and pop opinion. 
But what if our why, which for so many of us has been a search, and I just can't find my place, I'm just not sure why and what and all this, what if it was something that could be received as a gift? What if one of the graces that Jesus Christ wants to give us is a transcendent why, a reason to wake up every morning? What if if that's one of the gifts Jesus offers us? And how powerful is that, right? And, and, And so one thing I think a lot of people, especially like in the Bible Belt, we have to unlearn is that Jesus offers just forgiveness of sins and life eternal after death. His vision for you and for humanity is so much bigger than that. It is so much bigger than I got my sins paid for and I got my place in heaven reserved for me later on. It is so much bigger than five things you just don't need to do and a couple of things you do need to do. Other than that, you know, you do you, baby. And so we need to embrace a a, a vision of Christianity that is, number one, aligned with the Word of God and the teachings of the Son of God, but can actually satisfy, captivate, and drive our hearts forward. This reductionism, one hour a week Christianity, pray a prayer, get baptized, and get on with the rest of your life, that is unbiblical, and it will cause havoc upon your heart. So this is a total vision Jesus, what is my, Jesus offers us a why. Jesus offers us a why that will survive cancer. Jesus offers us a why that works in America and in sub-Saharan Africa where people live on less than a dollar a day. Jesus offers us a why that works whether you're single or married or single again. Jesus offers us a why that works if you are 15 years old, 55 years old. If you are retired, your why is still offered live and vital. It is that big and that amazing. He offers you that why. And so we're going to get underneath it. And here today from Jesus, not really from me, I pray, but from Jesus, what is that kind of why? What is the why that works whether you own your own million-dollar company or you work second shift? What what is that why that that captures all Christ followers to move with the kingdom of Jesus? I, I fundamentally believe this. People in our nation, people in our churches are hungry for an authentic reason to wake up every morning that cannot be touched or changed by current events or crazy politicians or inflation. We are hungry for that why. Our heart needs it, and our Lord and our Savior and our King of Kings offers it. Let's join his teachings, John's Gospel, chapter 10. John's Gospel, chapter 10. Jesus is teaching, and he's explaining a parable that he told in verses 1 through 6. I'm not really going to cover that. You can read it this week, talk about it, but here we go. Jesus said, truly I tell you, that means emphasis, right? Hey, lean in, lean in, listen, listen, listen. He says, I am the gate for the sheep, and he starts giving analogies for himself. He says, I'm a gate. Some translations say, I'm the door for the sheep. Now, the sheep are people like you and me, all right? In this context, he's talking to a Jewish audience, but later on, he's going to include non-Jews too, and we'll get to that in just a moment. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep, the true sheep, didn't listen to them. So, the context of this is Jesus is combating 
the vision, the why, the because, the explanation of the religious leaders of the day. That's why I tell people all the time, listen, Christianity is not a religion of do's and don'ts. Christianity is first and foremost a a, a relationship with the living God who died in your place and rose again for you, right? So it's a relationship, okay? But but Jesus is not contradicting, he's countering a vision of your why is you just need to do what you're told. Your why is be a good person, do the religious thing. He's countering this religious, pharisaical, legalistic, burdensome vision that the Pharisees and the religious people have offered the, the Jews that are living in the first century. And notice the language he uses. It's, it's it, for lack of a better expression, it's dirty language. He's like, there are thieves and robbers. They are robbing you of God's best for you. Now, let's say, let's just broaden the category for a minute. Yes, he's addressing this religious vision that was so crippling and robbed people of joy and hope, burdened people down with, with, have I ever done enough? Is there good enough? Am I good enough? Guilt and shame and all that kind of stuff. He's he's countering that. But our society offers a vision. Uh, People Magazine offers, offers a vision. The Instagram culture of constant comparing ourselves to everybody's best millisecond in time, which that post captured, offers a vision. And what we need to understand is those visions, if they're not of God, they will rob us and, 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 and destroy us. This is the same thing Jesus said here. They're thieves and robbers. And, and, and Jesus is against that. He is for us. He's not for us just when we die. He's not for us. He's for us as we live. That's why we say so many times at Rockbridge, being a Christian, yes, it is the only way to die, but it's the best way to live. So he continues. He says, I am the gate. He repeats, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Yes, we need to be saved. We need to be saved from sin, from the dominion of darkness. But it's not just salvation. And look at the analogy he uses. And I will come in, the sheep that enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture, find fullness, find wholeness, find sustenance. So there's protection, there's salvation, there's rescue, but there's also provision, there's also satisfaction, there's also joy. And so Jesus is saying this, our why starts with who? Who is Jesus Christ? And Jesus has told us at least two things about himself. He's a gate. We get in through him. That's the way, the truth, and the life, the cross, his death instead of us. But he's also a good shepherd. And we, as we said last week on Easter, we follow him. And then in verse 10, one of the most, probably one of the most popular verses of Scripture, he, he expounds on this and begins to move us toward his why for us. It says, a thief, goes back to that language, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So do not fall for a vision of your life that steals, kills, and destroys. Do not fall for a why that will eventually lead you to a dead end, to destruction, to consequence, to shrapnel. Don't do it. But he's contrast, he says, I have come so that they may have life. And he's not talking about go to heaven when you die life. He's talking about life. Life and have it, and here's the word, in abundance. Abundance means exceeding expectations. It means fullness. It means super added, right? 
A thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. It's very similar to, he's talking about shepherds. It's very similar to the shepherd's psalm of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because I have abundance. My cup overflows. There's more than enough coming out of me, spilling out of me. Now, here's a caution, though. When he says that word, I have come, that you may have life, have it to abundance, or have it to the full, we can't hijack the word abundance. And we hijack the word abundance if we think he's talking about our lifestyle. We hijack the word abundance if we think he's talking about the American dream. We hijack the word abundance if we think he's talking about success, meaning society's definition of success. The word abundance that he offers has to work in first century uh, Israel or first century when, to these Jewish people. It has to work here. It has to work in the underground church in China. It has to work in, in, in sub-Saharan Africa in the one-room sh- uh, huts that I've been in. It has to work there. It has to have meaning there. It is, it is that all-encompassing of followers of Jesus. So let, we can't read this as Americans who want to be healthy and wealthy and live to a certain age. Abundance for Jesus means something altogether different. But it's that word abundance that's going to aim us at our why, why we get up in the morning. Two most important days of your life and mine, the day we were born and the day we figured out why. And Jesus' why for you is attached to this word abundance. So let's not hijack it. Let's learn from the teacher, the master, the shepherd, the king, Jesus. So in verse 11, he begins to unpack what he means by this. He, he repeats himself, or he says, now, I'm the good shepherd. Your cup will overflow if you follow me. Abundance. The good shepherd, and then he starts talking about what he's going to do, at least in John 10. We, we now look at what he has done. He starts talking about his love for us. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and will scatter them. This happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. So Jesus is like, I'm not like that. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm not just with you when you die. I am with you as you live and as you discover why you live. Okay? I am the good shepherd, he repeats. I know my own, and my, no, my own know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. The intimacy of the Holy Trinity, Jesus and his sheep can share that and can have that. Then he repeats himself, I lay down my life for the sheep. I am willing to die. I will die for my sheep. I will die so they can have abundant life, so they can have intimacy with me. And then he says this, and this is how he broadens the the, the vision beyond just first century Jews. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. And right there, he's given that vision of a multi-ethnic, multinational, diverse family of God. When he says, I make disciples of all nations. I have other sheep that are not of this current pen. And that's the vision. If you're not not an ethnic Jew, that's a vision for you too. A why for you too. So he says, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. 
This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. And I have received this command from my Father. And he's unpacking his love for us. So abundance, here's, the, here's where abundance comes into. It's being loved by God. It's being loved by God. Now let's hold that and let's get a little bit underneath that. Because I, I, I'm going to say this and I mean no disrespect. Okay, Every person listening to me right now underestimates and does not fully understand how much God loves you. Let me say that again, okay? Right? Every person, including the guy with this microphone, underestimates, underappreciates, and does not fully understand how much God loves you. So let's try to get underneath that a little bit. The first thing that we'll say is this. His love reflects his character, not our behavior. His love comes from who he is as God Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, not our behavior. Everybody that's listening to me knows a version of love that is conditioned upon how well you behave or how well you perform or how well you meet somebody's expectation. We know that. There, that is the love of the world. That is the love many of us have been hurt by. That is the love many of us have strived to meet the conditions for. And maybe we did, maybe we didn't. God's love is not like that. He loves you just because that's who he is. Romans 5, 8, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, a.k.a. we didn't deserve it, we did nothing to earn it, he died for us. The shepherd laid his life down for us. This verse is, these verses in John 10 that we've read also say that his love is costly. It cost him his life, the eternal Son of God, shed blood, died on a cross, died in shame, died like a common criminal to liberate us. And then his love is freely given. Jesus says, no one makes me lay down my life. You go read all the stories of Jesus' arrest, and it looks like, you know, he's not in control. It looks like it's the crowd, it's Pilate, it's the religious leaders. But Jesus is allowing all of that to happen. He is laying down his life freely, which magnifies and helps us understand the depth of his love a little bit. Because do you appreciate it if someone does something for you begrudgingly or gladly? Jesus is gladly dying for us. So all of that to get us underneath and help us see his love. And that brings us to this definition, I love it, a Christian. Here's the definition of a Christian. is someone whose life has been invaded by the holy love of Christ. That's the definition. Now, there's other definitions we could give, but Paul David Tripp says, a Christian is someone whose life has been invaded by the holy. That means different. It's other. It's not worldly. Love of God in Christ. And so that, that's that abundance that Jesus is talking about. So here, here's a way to think about it, okay? Every one of us have, have what, we call, what I'll call two, two different types of identity, okay? Functional and a fundamental identity. Now, now most of us, what happens is our, our functional identity becomes fundamental to who we are, okay? Here's what I mean. 
You know, I, I am a pastor. I am a student. I am an athlete. I am an engineer. I am a business person. I am a mom. I am single. I, I am a single mom. I am someone who has been hurt in the past, and that hurt affects me to this day. So that functional identity becomes very fundamental to who we are. The problem is when we can't do certain things anymore, then who are we? We don't have anything to stand on, and we feel lost. We feel confused. And so the world sells us a vision that is contingent upon functions, okay? How we do, you need to do this and be this and look like this, and that becomes fundamental to who you are. What Jesus is offering us is what I'm just going to call flip the flow. He says this, fundamental to who you are, you are loved by God. And then let your function as a human being flow from who you fundamentally are. This will never, ever change. You are that loved by God, costly, freely. That is who you are. And so he wants the functions, how we function as human beings to flow from who we fundamentally are as loved by God in Christ. So instead of what we do becoming fundamental to who we are, but what we do can be lost, the love of God in Christ can never be lost once it's been found. So he wants us to flip the flow. So in Christianity, who we are always comes before what we do. Who we are, loved by God in Christ, always comes before what we do. Most visions of the world start with what you do, must do, should do, or should not have done. Now from that love we get one of the most incredible passages of Scripture from the Apostle Paul, and he's going to give us our why. Actually, Jesus gives it to us through the word abundance, but he's going to give us the why. So this is why, for people who are choosing to follow Jesus, this is why you exist. Two most important days, your birthday and the day you find out why you were born. And, and Paul's going to give it to us but it flows out of what we've been talking about. For the love of Christ compels us. There it is. Paul says, why I do what I do is because I have been loved with the abundance. I have been loved with the costly love of Christ. I do what I do because my shepherd laid down his life for me. I shall not, be, I shall not want. My cup overflows, and it overflows to other people. So the love of Christ compels us. The why, why do you do what you do? Because Jesus loves me. Amen. I can't explain your life. Jesus loves me. And so he goes on. Since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all, and therefore all died. The shepherd lays down his life. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. So our vision is not self-centered. It is not self-preoccupied. It is driven by the love of Christ. But I live for the one who died for them, my shepherd, and who was raised. So our big why is the abundant love of Christ. Our big why, why we live, why we exist, why we do what we do, is the abundant love of Christ. So it's like Paul would say, Hey, why do you do what you do? Because Jesus loves me. Why do you not do what you do? Because Jesus loves me. That's how deep and all comprehensive the love of God in Christ is. So when we talk about our, our church, we have a mission statement. 
that says to, we exist to glorify God by connecting people from all walks of life. That encompasses the sheep, right, of this fold in John 10 and not of this fold. And connect them to life in Christ, which is the abundant love of God in the cross, grabbing our heart, the holy invasion of love that hits us. And so what happens is this. As disciples or followers of Jesus, we love God because he loved us. We overflow and we love others with the love that we have in Christ. And then that causes us to want to live sent to share and show that love with other people who have not discovered it. And this is the vision God has for people that follow Jesus. We are first loved by God and we love God back. We love others with the love we have received from God. And we live sent to put his love and share and show his love in places and to people who do not know of his love. So so let's connect all this. In John 10.10, he says, there's other sheep that I must bring in and I will bring them in by my voice. I will bring them in by my words. Remember that? And then look what Paul says. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of sharing and showing the love of Christ. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So God's words go through us to people that don't know how much he loves them. And he says that's why we're ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we love God, we love others, and we share that love, and other sheep are brought into the fold. But it all starts with living a life, having a why that is compelled by the love of God in Christ. So into that, Jesus gives us that powerful analogy that's the brand or the title of this new series. In Matthew 5, 41, he's teaching a sermon. He says, if anybody forces you to go one mile, go with him two. The context is in ancient Rome. Jewish people, people that lived in these occupied territories, they had to carry a Roman soldier's pack if the soldiers chose to enlist them for that. And by law, they had to do it for about a mile. It was actually a 1,000 paces. And Jesus says, hey, basically he says this, if your enemy that you think has no right to this land and needs to get out of this land, if your enemy asks you to go one mile, you need to go two miles. Now, that's called love for your enemy. It's hard to love your enemies. Hard to love people that don't look like you, vote like you, think like you, right? And that's what Jesus said to do. But how did Jesus, how did God in Christ love us? While we were still sinners, sinners means we are against God, enemies of God, Christ, the good shepherd, still died for us, still laid his life down for us. So Jesus says, that love you've received to me, find out, figure out a way to show it to that Roman soldier. So here, so here he goes. This is vision, right? We're not there yet. You got to come back next week, right? The first mile is explainable. Hey, why would you carry that Roman soldier's pack? Because he made me to. That's my duty. That's my obligation. I can be punished. I can be thrown in jail. I can be beat up. Whatever. I can be whatever. But if, if, if I don't do what's expected of me. The second mile, though, becomes inexplicable unless you have been loved by Jesus. 
Jesus wants his followers to live an inexplicable life so that when someone says, why are you doing that? You can say to them, because I've been loved by Jesus. The love of Christ compels me to. But let's go back to where we were. People need a big why. We all do. Atheists, Christians, non-Christians, everybody needs a why. Why? Two most important days of your life, your birthday and the day you figure out why, okay? God has given us a why, the abundant love of Christ, so that people will ask us why. Why do you do what you do? Because the love of Christ compels me. Amen. The love, what is the love of Christ? And then we can share and show how Jesus has loved us in his Son, Jesus Christ. So I want to invite us all. I don't want any, I, I'm going to kind of give us homework, but it's nothing to do, okay? Nothing to do. Don't even hear me say, get on the second mile. We're not ready for that. This sermon, this series is going to build. I think the prevalent need in our church, in my life, is the need to just be loved by Christ. The need to just be loved by Christ. Okay? I'll tell you a little bit of my story. I became a Christian, as I shared with you, I've shared with you when I was eight years old. And I, and I, and I, I was, you know, walking with Jesus. I'll never forget this story, okay? I was a teenager, and one of my friends asked me to do something or why, uh, that I knew was incompatible. Everybody else did it, right? That, that could have been my why. Well, everybody else does that. And he asked me to be a part of something. And I remember answering it. I can't do that. And I said something to the effect, because that's a sin, and it would hurt the one who loves me most. That was my why. Now, I wish I could also tell you that never leaked. <laughs> and, and, I, and that was always my why. But I've got stories I could tell you of where my why was my flesh, where I left my first love, right? You've forsaken your first love, Jesus' words to one of the churches in Revelation. A couple of weeks, months ago, a, a, a prayer person, prayer warrior in our church came up to me and, and, and said, Matt, I, I was praying for you, and I really just got this vision and this impression, and part of the vision was really awesome and edifying, encouraging, and I was like, God, I needed to hear that. And he said, but Matt, I do get the sense that you just need to let God love you. Now, what does it mean not to let God love us? We're all looking for love. You know what it means is, is, is when we think his love is going to look like the world's love. Okay? So, so when we say the need to be loved by Christ, what we're saying is this. His love is deeper than we realize. Like de deeper and un misunderstood. And, and, it, and, you know, it's so easy, right, when, when, when you grow up in a setting where it's get saved and then move on. no. Get saved and never get over it. That's the better message. Okay? We come to the, now this, this, this is the big one for me. We come to his love through the cross, not our circumstances. A lot of us, the reason you think God doesn't love you is because you, you feel like you've been dealt a bad hand. Okay? We come to his love through the cross. That means I get to God's love through my own sin and failure. See, the world wants to get, you know, thinks love, tries to disguise love in this self-esteem package. 
God doesn't lie to us. We come to his love through the cross, through sin, through failure, through brokenness, through hurt. That's when we discover how deep and wide his love is. And so sometimes we don't let God love us because we're holding on to wrong beliefs and wrong views of what his love actually means. And then often just let him love us. And so all I want to do and encourage you to do is I'm going I'm to pray a prayer over all of us. And I just want to encourage you a couple of times this week, next five, six days, talk about this, pray this over your family, pray it in your small groups, meditate on it, call it up on your version or your, your app, and just ask God to love you with this love of Christ. Okay? That's the starting point, that we are compelled by the love of Christ. We'll never graduate from the love of Christ. Here's the prayer. It's not mine. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and earth is named. God is the reason we're here. He didn't need to create us, but he did because he's love, and love creates. So love can be extended, magnified, and shared. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, his majesty, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So what does that look like, Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith? What's that inner strength going to look like? Well, he goes on, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses all knowledge so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's not praying that we would love Christ better. He's praying we would know the love of Christ better. Would you bow your heads close your eyes, please? Listen, I'm just going to let it be quiet. And I just want to, just sometimes you just need to sit in that prayer, in that space. And as you're just preparing, just and saying, God, love me. Show me how deep you love me. Show me how much it cost you, yet it was a joy to you to die for me. As you're just praying that, I'm just inviting the Holy Spirit. The Word of God says the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our hearts. And I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit would right now just pour love into places in your life where you need to know the love of God in Christ. And you know that it comes to you through the cross. It does not come to you because the doctor's report is negative. It does not come to you because you know some problem gets suddenly fixed. It comes to you from the cross, the eternal cross of Christ, where he died for us, he died instead of us. It was costly, but he freely gave. It's abundant. The shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. My cup overflows. In the name of Jesus, amen.